Do you sometimes get the sense that debates about America's role in the world are predictable and often disconnected from reality? Our new podcast tries to change that. None of the Above offers new ideas to help confront America's global challenges. Subscribe to None of the Above today. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Hey, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Let Freedom Ring Podcast. This is episode number four, I believe. Um, and this week we have a very important important topic and a very important guest, so let's just go ahead and get into it. Um, first things first, uh, question of the day. What is your thought on police officers? I, I'm a big, big proponent of in, in increasing policing uh, with a certain amount of reform. To, but the reform that I want to institute within the police force isn't, it, it's not to target police officers, it's actually to make their job easier. I don't think police officers should be called every time there's a problem. I think that we should we should figure out what exactly police officers are for, if not uh, on rotating shifts. Now, what I mean by this is, you know, police officers spend, especially where I live, spend a majority of their time doing traffic stops, um, you know, conducting, you know, going to to low level domestic uh, domestic disputes, you know, wife and husband arguing all the time, but no violence involved. It, it, we really need to take a, a second to think about is this where they are best used is this where they are best used a uh, point in case a couple of months ago i got pulled over for running a red light i know i ran the red light listen if, if you understood what what if you understood the scenario you would have ran it too it was like 9 30 at night which for my town everyone's everyone's in bed it was a school night everyone's in bed i was on my way home and there's a four-way and the on the way that i had to go Okay, the way that I had to go to get to my house, where I, where I abide, my, my, my abode, mi casa, the way I had to get there was that light will stay green for 30 seconds but stay red for five minutes. And nobody's coming the other way. Nobody's coming the other way. So I'm sitting there. So I, I, I've, I've got caught by that light multiple times where I have to sit there for three, four, five, six minutes. I, I think I've counted before and it's been six minutes that I've had to sit there while nobody was coming on the other way because normally um, it's intersecting two highways. And in that little stretch uh, where I was in town, the highway that that uh, that goes south, was, that, uh, that that's a fairly busy highway throughout the day. But the highway that goes west where I was going is not fairly busy at the time. So I ran the red light. And of course, as I'm about... I'm, as I, I explained it, as I passed the point of no return to where I can't stop, I have to keep going, I see a, a, a KPD, a Kingsland Police Department uh, officer roll up to the, the the adjacent red light at the time that was about to turn green. So, um, obviously could not slam on brakes or stop, so I just I ran the red light and simply went over, and I just went ahead, turned on my blinker, pulled over, officer came up, he was super nice. He was a super nice guy. He, he goes he he goes with with the standard. Do you know why I pulled you over? I said yes, sir. I'm not gonna lie to you. I ran the red light. I'm so sorry. I started explaining what was happening. I thought I could make it, and he said, "Well, I'm not gonna give you a ticket, um, 
but I'm just going to run run your life. He said, I'm not going to give you a ticket because you, you were honest with me. You were nice to me. You didn't try to lie your way out of it. I'm not going to give you a ticket. But instead, I'm going to go, you know, run your name and everything to make sure you're, I'm not, you know, I'm not wanted. And I was like, okay, yes, sir. And so he goes back there, does that, and he comes back. And so we're, we're just talking for a few minutes uh, back and forth, you know. So how long you been on the police for, stuff like that. He'd been on the police force for like nearly 25, 30 years, I believe it was at the time. Yeah, he just retired last month, actually. I've kept in touch with him. He's a really nice guy. He, um, he, um, the reason he, he left originally, no, no, he didn't even run my name, actually, because we were sitting there talking, and then he got a call. Because there was something more important going on that needed his, his thing. He he was the lieutenant on that night, which is, you know, I'm not exactly sure how many people they have on, but I'm pretty sure the lieutenant is, like, over the shift, like the shift supervisor. So my point of telling you this is, well, one, the left will tell you that I got out of it because I'm a straight white male and, you know, white privilege. But honestly, two things can be true of this. One, if you're nice to police officers and you didn't commit something crazy, like I didn't, I wasn't going 35 over without a, a good reason. I wasn't going 35 over, you know, nobody's was really jeopardized by what I did. My thought, what, what I'm trying to tell you is that if you're just genuinely nice to these police officers and you're, you're, you're understanding and you say, yes, sir, I know what I did was wrong. I'm very sorry. Um, you know, I, th- nine times out of 10, you're not going to get a ticket. That is also not true in Felton, Delaware. Cause they gave me a $94 seatbelt ticket. Not a big fan. But what I, what I was saying is if you're genuinely nice to these officers and you, you, you show respect nine times out of 10, you'll get, you'll get away with it. You'll be fine. They won't write you a ticket. They'll give you a warning. I also say this because he left, he left without running my name. Obviously I'm not a felon or anything or, or they don't have any warrants, but he left without running my name because something more important came up <clears throat> because something that required his assistance or his, 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 presence came up that was more important what i'm trying to get to by this is that sometimes these police officers are being tasked with doing things that that are below their pay grade if that makes sense now i've had a couple of thoughts i've had a lot of talks with actual like high up i I talked to my chief of police about this and what he, he told me is his thought process is what if on every shift there was like a rotation where where you, where, you know, you have people who, who their entire job is to be on traffic, their entire job is to drive around and ensure that people aren't, you know, going 35 over in a school zone. Also, uh, you know, people who, who respond to the low level domestic violences. And then of course, everyone will respond to the, the big ones, but in order to, to not put so much stress onto these individual officers, because right now officers are tasked with so much, especially in my community that witnessed uh, a police shooting about two years ago. So the um, the dynamic between community and police was a little hurt there for a couple of weeks or for a couple of, I should say, almost a year and a half, not even a couple of weeks, about a year, probably a year, year and a half, because the community wasn't behind the police, which is important. It's important for the community and the police to be on the same, to be on the same wavelength. That's what really deters crime. That's what leads to really good really good uh community involvement which really does help because if people don't believe in the police force they're not going to turn in tips they're not going to help the police as much as they can which needs to happen this is all leading into the fact that we can agree there should probably be police reform we should we should reform some of the some of the duties they're tasked with we also should reform some of some of the laws regarding warrants um now of course not not all of them 
and this obviously does not go after the police officers. This goes after the the, the legislators that that got these laws and the governors that signed these laws into into existence, whether well actually mayors and governors and county commissioners. Uh, for instance, in uh, Kentucky, you have the the no the no knock warrants, which I'm not a big fan of. I mean, just me being, I, I talk about this. I've talked about this on a podcast a couple. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember if it was on this podcast or I did it on an interview. But, you know, in my household, there are there are multiple firearms. There are multiple firearms. And if you were to, if in the middle of the night, my family just heard somebody just kick open the door, we're not going to wait to see if it's a police officer to respond. That's not what we're going to do. Because if you wait, you're dead. If you wait, you're dead. I mean, of course, if it's a police officer, you'll probably be okay. But if it's not a police officer, you're dead. This obviously leads to the Breonna Taylor case, which I've talked about on this podcast before. And I've said it. I don't believe that. I don't believe the police did anything wrong. I don't believe that Brianna Taylor's boyfriend and or husband did anything wrong that night. Of course, I don't know his background being being a, a criminal. Um, the no-knock warrant was issued correctly by the judge. Then, So nobody did anything wrong. You just had a tragic, a tragic situation which led to uh, laws that should not, should not exist. Because most people, when somebody kicks open their door and has guns they're not going to ask hey are you the cops before trying to defend themselves so it's a bad situation that went bad it's a bad situation that's tragic that is that is the worst case scenario because i think you and i can agree i mean i don't know how you feel about no knock warrants but just let's let's picture this you and your wife you and your husband are laying in bed and at around 2 a.m you just hear bang door opens you just hear door open and you hear multiple people, multiple people entering your house. You're you're going. It's worst case scenario. You know you're going to reach in that that bedside table. You're going to reach under the pillow wherever you, where if you have a firearm wherever you keep it, and you're going to go try to defend yourself. And from the police officers, they know what's happening because they have the element of surprise. So they they understand like, hey, we're in this for a lawful reason. But when you or your husband or whoever sees armed men with guns, and you have a firearm, you're going to defend yourself. When the police officers see an armed man with a gun pointing it at them, they're going to defend themselves. So you get to a worst-case scenario type of thing. And if you were to ban no-knock warrants, all it simply does is, um, for instance, Camden County Sheriff's Office. They yell that. They yell Camden County Sheriff's Office before entering. They yell Kingsland Police Department before entering, whatever it may be. So you know. You have a general idea. Okay, it's police. Maybe we shouldn't grab our gun. You have that general idea. But without that general idea, you turn into... You turn into the situation that happens with with Miss Brianna Taylor. That's that's what happens because the no knock warrant, it, it's terrible. So we should ref, we should look at we should look at laws and reform them and either do away with them or strengthen them depending on what it is. I mean I've saw I've seen some some cases to to um, if not get away get get rid of but to to look at qualified immunity and reform it. And I'm a big fan of the, of that, of some arguments of that. Ben Shapiro talks about this all the time. For those of you guys who don't know what qualified immunity is, basically, in order for a police a police officer to be charged with uh, with murder or with with uh, assault and be able to be to be immune from the police officers or from the from the police department and be able to be on their on their own when it comes to being sued, they have to have broken a law that has already been broken, if that makes sense. Uh, they have to they have to conduct themselves in a way that's already been found to be 
guilty. So what it means is, let's say that, let's say that, let's say that a police officer uh, is stopping, is chasing a perp, and dives on him from the back, and breaks his collarbone. Well, the police officer can't be sued because he has, he he acted within the scope of his job. In cases like that, okay, then I I can see why it's there. But then you also have cases where it starts to get a little a little murky. And I think that we should look into ways to, to, to reform it. Qualified immunity is something that that is that is necessary but also needs to be looked at and needs to be reformed. Because I don't want police officers to have to fear whether or not they'll have a livelihood, you know, just what they believe is following their job. But I think we can also see where it can be abused at the same time. So it's something that we need to have a national debate on. We need we need to discuss. We need to discuss how much leeway police officers have because you and I can both agree that if a police officer tackles somebody and they get a broken arm okay well you shouldn't have been running from the police but there are times in which police officers do act out of the out of the scope of their job that's something that I will 100% agree with I'm not going I back the blue 100% but I do agree that there are bad apples just as if I support teachers 100% but there are bad teachers we all know them there are bad people in every profession and we need to do a get better job on the right of not 100% every time something like this happens, 100% getting on the side of the police officers because we don't know the facts. We don't know the facts. And we, we should, we should say that, that until facts come out, we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want our, we don't want to comment on it until facts come out. And once facts come out, we'll, we'll make it, we'll make an, edu- we'll make a educated decision on what happened. Because we have to judge each one of these situations by themselves. Because if you look at what happened in the George Floyd case, yes, the George Floyd case, you see a lot of things. You see a George Floyd who is high, out of his mind, on drugs. He was. But you also see whether or not did Derek Chauvin still have to kneel on his neck for nearly nine minutes. I just don't see it. I mean, he's in he's in handcuffs, put shackles on the man. He's not going to make it anywhere. The kneeling on the neck was probably a little too much. We can all agree that. So it, we need to look at a way to get it to where police officers can be held accountable for their actions as they should be. Police officers shouldn't feel like just because they're wearing a badge, they can get away with anything. They need to understand that if they, if they, if they, nefariously, if that's even a word, if they, if they take without if they step outside of their job duties and become a vigilante, if you would, they're not going to be protected. And that's a necessary step in, in showing the, the in showing us, the citizens, that these police officers don't, you know, they're not just protected by their badge, but they also, we need to make sure that we don't go too far. We don't, we need to make sure we don't go too far. And then every time a perp gets a broken arm because they ran away and they were tackled, that the police officers are sued. That shouldn't happen either. We need to find the happy medium and we need to we need to find it now. Because I can tell you what the answer isn't. And also somebody is driving by my house right now playing very loud music. I'm not sure if you can hear it. If you can, it's not even good. But what what's happening right now in major cities throughout the United States, it's shocking. Uh, Minneapolis, um, Portland, Seattle, New York, all these places have voted to defund police whether entirely or, port, or taking a big portion out of it 
Currently, there is news that is being reported by Fox that the Minneapolis City Council alarmed by the surge in crimes months after voting to defund the police. It says, Minneapolis City Council members just two months ago moved to eliminate the police department, sounded the alarm Wednesday in a meeting about a surge in crime seen by their constituents. Council members pressed police chief Madaria Arredondo about the uptick in crimes that included daylight carjackings, robbery assaults, shootings, and street racings. I wonder why. It, it, it keeps going, saying residents are asking, quote, where are the police? Council member Jamal Osman, noting the, the constituents' calls to the Minneapolis Police Department have gone unanswered. That is the only public safety option they have at the moment, MPD. They rely on MPD, and they're saying that they are nowhere to be seen. Probably because you, you freaking, probably because you, you completely defunded them almost. Council President Lisa Bender accused police of intentionally not enforcing laws and making arrests. That is not new, Bender said, but is very con concerning in the current context. Ardondo, who has served as police chief since 2017, called her comments troubling to hear and pledged to address the issues with departmental supervisors. We need to make sure that we that our communities know that we are going to be there and we are going to be responsive, he said. We've taken an oath to do that. The Minneapolis Police Department crime data shows a rise in assaults, robberies, and homicides, as well as property crimes and arsons, according to the Minnesota, Minnesota Public Radio. More people have been killed in the city in the first nine months of 2020 than those slain all of last year. Arredondo said about 100 officers have left the department or taken leave of absence since the start of the year, which is more than double the typical number of officers who stepped down from the department or are inactive that year. In July, the council took steps toward dismantling the police, city's police department, including approving an amendment to remove $1 million from the police department and reallocate it toward the health department to hire, quote, violence interrupters who are intended to defuse potentially violent situations. The council had pledged earlier in the summer to dismantle the police department and replace it with a community-based system of public safety. The council began focusing on the police reforms after George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, died after a white Minneapolis police officer knelt on his neck for nearly close to nine minutes. Whew. Floyd's death was captured in a widely circul circulated bystander video, sparked protests, sometimes violent, that spread across the country. The officers were fired the day after Floyd's death. One officer, Chauvin, is charged with second-degree murder, while the three, uh, three other officers who were present have, not, have been charged with aiding and abetting. So these people, these self-righteous city council members, besides the one guy, I believe his name was Orden, besides, besides city councilman Orden, don't know why police don't want to don't show up, don't want to do their jobs. Because they've, they've seen. They've seen what's going to happen if they do. They've seen what's going to happen if they show up and do it. You cut their budget by a million dollars. You've cut their budget by a million dollars. And you have shown them that they don't have city council support, that they don't have the support of those who set their policies. They don't. As as you can tell, I can guarantee you that the council president and the chief of police don't have the best don't have the best relationship. You can tell by how the the police chief said. They found it troubling. They don't have a good relationship. Because the council pledged earlier in the year, as as Fox News is reporting. To dismantle the department, to dismantle it, to get rid of it. It's completely, it's completely sickening. We need to back the blue. We need to get behind our men and women in blue. We need to give them support. We need to support them. We need to give them everything that they need 
in order to be successful because a successful police force is a successful community. And the more successful communities we have, the better our country is as a whole. My next guest is a city councilman in a city that just recently voted to defund defund their police department by a billion dollars. My next guest, Joe Borelli, joins me now. How you doing? Joe Borelli, New York City Council uh, from the, the better parts of New York City. Probably the parts you don't come visit when you visit your relatives here. <laughs> so uh, before uh, before we started recording, Mr. Borelli uh, asked, I believe, a school chancellor to resign. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yes, I mean, this is just the latest incompetence of democratic uh, hegemonic government in New York City. We had a disastrous, disastrous time shutting down. Coronavirus was very real for New York, uh, Staten Island, where I live. Uh, we've lost over 1,300 people. Uh, and as people were getting sick, there seemed to be just no consensus on whether we should even shut down school in the first place or not. And since that day, uh, in mid-March, we've just been unable to come up with a plan uh, to, to reopen schools this September. I mean, it, September comes every year after August. It wasn't like this was a surprise. It wasn't like we had to, you know, count on some tea leaves to tell us when school could possibly open. But here we are, just, just repeated delays, repeated uncertainty, no answers for parents. Uh, they want to do mandatory in-school testing, randomized testing of students. I mean, imagine that uh, you, your, your son or daughter will be tested, uh, uh, mouth swabbed without your uh, presence there. And if you don't consent to that, you won't be allowed to enter New York City public schools. I mean, this is just the, the psychotic nature of New York City. Uh, and it's all run by obviously Mayor de Blasio. Uh, but but he is elected. I mean, we, we, we voted for I didn't vote for him, but we voted for Mayor de Blasio and we're stuck with him. But his school chancellor is an absolute disaster. And uh, today we asked him to resign. So for those who are listening, uh, so a chancellor is, is sort of like a superintendent almost? Yes, correct, correct. So okay. just uh, wanted, yeah, the, they, the, the title of a superintendent for New York City schools. Just wanted to make sure so people understood. So <clears throat> I think one, I think we can all agree de Blasio is not the, not, not the model that mayors across, across the country should, should take in. Um, but I wanted to get your take on that. So as, as you know, many people are leaving New York City in droves. Many people are leaving places like California in droves. What exactly do you think is causing it? Because I'm not sure if you saw the news. Even, even AOC's mother left California or left yeah. New York like last year. She's no what dope. You, what are you saying? <laughs> she, she's no dope, Mrs. Uh, I, I guess Ocasio Cortez Senior. Uh, she's no she's no fool. Look, I mean, we have always lost people to migration after they retire. I mean, New York City is a higher cost of living. <clears throat> people do make higher salaries, uh, you know, proportionally than the rest of the country. And when people retire, they, they like to retire to where it's cheaper to live. And that's 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 perfectly normal part of New York City. Normally, we, we, we make up with that with, with young people who might not find jobs in their hometowns coming here and taking over their apartments and their new life, et cetera, et cetera. But, but structurally, People were willing to pay a premium uh, for New York City. I mean, it is a great place to live. I, I do enjoy living here. Uh, we have great restaurants. We have theaters. We have all those things. Right now with COVID, all of that is shut down. So you're paying a premium and you're not getting any of the benefits. Now, add to that fact that uh, because of this crisis, we are in such a big budget deficit. Uh, the, the state estimates $60 billion just for the state of New York and all its entities with, within it. Uh, the city of New York is probably about at four or five billion dollars in deficit. That, that, that's larger than the budgets of some states. Um, and the only way to make that up 
is either through layoffs, which don't make up revenue, or through raising of taxes. So, I mean, I think there's no scenario that we won't see the cost of living be raised even more for New Yorkers. So you're going to pay even more of a premium to live in a place that is, is just not as worth living because of all the shutdowns. And then you have to add into the fact uh, that in New York, we're seeing what we're seeing in major cities throughout the country, where you have um, just riots and a return to violence and a return to gun violence. Uh, streets aren't as safe. I mean, th- these are things that, that thankfully, where I live in Staten Island, it's a very residential suburban area. Most of my neighbors are cops or the brother or sister of a cop, things like that. We're fine. But you look around the rest of the city uh, in, the, in the sort of the bougie places people like to live when they move from elsewhere. These places are not safe anymore. And as a result, people don't want to be there. Now you add the fact that we have a crazy government. So they had a hashtag called defund the police. It was literally a hashtag. That hashtag actually makes policy now in New York City. That, that's why did we defund the police by a billion dollars? There's no good reason. A hashtag told a bunch of the city council that this is what we have to do. Otherwise, the progressives will be mad. So we ended up defunding the police department by a billion dollars, reducing headcount, um, reducing uh, the amount of overtime for officers available to staff events and you know large gatherings, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we cut overtime hours. So even when you have a crime, which of course happens, uh, detectives working the case, you know, won't get overtime hours to, to be. by the way, you know, it takes a lot of time to review films and, and to actually investigate crimes. But we've right. decided that it's not even worth paying our detectives to do that work. And, and that's, that's New York in a nutshell in 2020. No, that, that one, what you're getting into, that's the topic of this, this show anyway, is, you know, the defunding of the police. That is something that, you know, when people said it originally, the people who brought up the, the debate, sure, there, there could be a good debate to take some things off the plates of police officers that don't need to be their, yeah. their job, especially in a big city like yours. I live in a smaller city where crime's not as rampant as it is in New York City because there's just not as many people. But like you said, a billion dollars, that billion dollars is that's, – that's crucial. Nobody can just pass off a billion dollars and not feel it. And, and that's just one component of our criminal justice failures the past, say, 12 months. I mean, we, we instituted a, a policy called bail reform in New York City, uh, New York State, where now it's almost impossible for someone to be remanded on cash bail or remanded without bail into our jail. So people who are, uh, you know, arrested for, let's say, a nonviolent gun crime, right? You, you have an illegal firearm. The cops know you're up to no good. So they arrest you with an illegal gun. Uh, you're still out on bail. And, and lo and behold, guess who has a higher likelihood of committing a violent gun crime? Obviously, it's that person. And the Democrats just don't see any correlation between that uh, and the rising level of crime. Then we have this new law in New York City where um, a police officer is now criminally liable uh, we called it a chokehold ban, right? Uh, and it's always been against our department policy for police officers to use a chokehold and to restrain someone's um, you know, throat. They added the diaphragm, front and back. So now if a New York City police officer unintentionally, or just as a matter of arresting someone, compresses the person's diaphragm by either sitting on their back or kneeling on their back or, or leaning their shoulder onto their back, they're guilty of a misdemeanor. They could be fired. They will, if they're guilty of it, they will be fired uh, and they'll lose their pension. So now you have police officers. Just paint the picture, right? So you have police officers who are making a good salary. They have a wife and kids at home or a husband and kids at home. You know, they're just trying to do their job, do it right and go home to their families. If someone steals or burglarizes an apartment, are they going to run down the block and tackle them and save the day and make the arrest and risk 
a misdemeanor crime just for tackling the person. No, they're going to let the criminal get away because I don't blame them. I wouldn't risk that either. Right? This is not someone in danger. This is, a, this is a quality of life crime, a burglary. So they let the crime go. They get the video. They get the tapes. They get the evidence. And they hand it over to the detective bureau. Now those same detectives are investigating more crimes because there's no on-street arrests. And they have less money in overtime, meaning less man hours to do more work. So what happens? Crimes get prioritized. So maybe now the detectives in that area will investigate the homicides and the shootings, but they just won't have time to investigate the burglaries and the misdemeanor assaults and all the other stuff that's happening on a daily basis. And that's sort of the the, the snowballing effect we're seeing on all these uh, democratic, so these are all democratic policies, uh, progressive democratic reforms of the police department in uh, New York City. Well, that that that's completely it's completely asinine to assume that police officers can in every situation to be able to just make a simple put your hands around your back and the people comply because unfortunately that's not the truth we even had Renault gracie of of the gracie brothers who are like the mma experts of the world and even i challenged the mayor you know show us how if you if the gracies can't figure out how to restrain someone without compressing their diaphragm and this is what they do for a living every single day and you know i asked the mayor i asked the other members of the city council Put, put me in handcuffs. Let, let me see you guys put me in handcuffs while I fight back without compressing my diaphragm. No one has ever told us how to do it. No one has ever taken me up on my bet. And unfortunately, these are the kind of technicalities that could jam a cop up, um, convict them of misdemeanor, and lose their life's work in the form of their – I mean, a pension is why you really stick with being a police officer. Yes, there's a great job and you're serving the public, but the benefit of being a police officer, at least in New York City, is that you work a pretty short period of time compared to others and you get a comfortable pension to retire, right? That's – you're not going to risk that. You're just not going to risk that to go out and save the day, uh, you know, unless there's a, a streaming baby or something. Right, and not to mention that this could all, it could also lead to uh, to people getting off of heinous crimes because of the 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 force that the, the, they might just the DAs might just drop it because it's not worth it if you're going to go and get this police officer arrested on a misdemeanor. It, we've it's weird that we've reached the point in the country where the only people who seem to want this are are the people who aren't going to be affected by it. I, a recent study that came out that showed eighty one percent of African Americans who live in low income communities want equal if not more policing in their communities because they understand that the police are there 99.9% of the time to be a peacekeeper. They're there to deter crime. We we all agree that we want policing to be proactive and responsible and not infringe on people's rights. I mean, there's nothing controversial in saying that. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's bizarre that there's a narrative out there that would indicate that Republicans somehow don't want uh, police officers to be cognizant of people's individual rights. They don't want them to be overly uh, zealous in, in, in turning to violence. I mean, and this is thankfully not what police officers do on a regular basis. But, I mean, you know the left has gone so far where what you just said was essentially what the Reverend Al Sharpton said. I think it was on MSNBC a couple of weeks ago. He said, look, people in the African-American community, they want you know, active and responsible policing. He called them latte liberals, and, that, and that's who they are. You look at who's protesting defund the police. They're not people who are facing crime on a daily basis. And, and I, I actually, I, God bless him, I commend the Reverend Al Sharpton just for this saying this one thing, because it's easy for me, a Republican who represents all cops, to come out and say something like that. It's probably harder for him to say that, but I'm glad he made the distinction that most of the people out there shouting for defund the police are these latte liberal, college kid, trust fund babies, uh, 
types who decided that, that they're going to have their little rumspringer by protesting in New York City and Washington and everywhere in between. No, no, you're, you're completely right. And this is the, what I'm about to say is something that people who listen to my show regularly have heard before. Um, you know, there was this girl that I went to school with. She was better. She was well off. You know, she turned 16 and drove like a brand new car to school. She told me a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago at this point, that she believes that if there is an active shooter situation, not a hostage situation, an active shooter situation where like at a high school, whatever, that police should come. But who should take priority is they should send a hostage negotiator in first. And I'm like, huh? I mean, you know, some things just defy logic. Um, you know, we even we even see that with like criticisms of police officers using tasers, and you want to like just shout, and it's like, look, the police officers right now are using tasers to to make the use of a firearm the the, the next step. Like they're trying to avoid using uh, aggressive, uh, more aggressive tactics. And I mean, it's just too easy to be an armchair quarterback of the police department. I mean, all the time you, you hear, uh, why did they shoot him in the leg? Like, I mean, if anyone has ever shot a gun and I'm not very good at it, but it, it's not, ex- I mean, it's not exactly easy to shoot someone under an incredibly stressful situation in their leg when you want to shoot them in the leg. I mean, it's, it's just, right. it's almost impossible. I mean, anyone who's ever fired a gun can tell you that, especially when, you know, these things are happening at five, 10, 15 yards away that with a small pistol, that's not exactly a point blank shot. And it's just too easy to armchair the quarterbacks. And uh, you know, look, everyone, everyone has a right to be an armchair quarterback for the police. The problem is when that armchair quarterbacking becomes legislation. And it's like when I told you about this, this uh, diaphragm restriction in New York City, like no one can tell any of these cops how to actually subdue a perp if they're a little, I mean, we, we have a very diverse police force. I mean, we have a lot of women and some of them are small. We have a lot of men who are, a lot of them are, are smaller uh, statured guys and girls. And, and what happens when you have a big six foot six, you know, muscular man who you have to subdue? I mean, it, it just, it doesn't add up how you would even have to factor into your calculation not to compress their diaphragm. I mean, it, it should be a factor in your calculation not to pull out a gun and shoot them. Right. right. But it shouldn't be a calculation while you're literally scrapping and rolling around a floor for your life because there is a gun involved. It's in your holster. You shouldn't even have to have that calculation of if I touch this person's diaphragm, I might get arrested, get charged with a misdemeanor, get convicted of a misdemeanor, lose my job, lose my pension and have nothing for my family. Shouldn't even be a calculation. But unfortunately, that's the, 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 the thing that is troubling a lot of police officers. No, I, I completely agree with you. Now, we can, we can agree that the throat makes sense. That makes sense. You, something twists the wrong way. And, and especially in, intentionally and, and longer than is needed. I mean, I mean, exactly. most cops, I mean, all my buddies are cops. None of them said a word in support uh, of, of Derek Chauvin. They, they said, like, this is, you know, I mean, maybe something comes out later. To exam- I, mean, I have no idea. I mean, I won't, I won't speak for the jury, a grand jury, but no one supported what that cop did. I mean, no one wants to see that. Um, but the reaction is worse in some ways for policing than the reforms that, that some cities did in response to George Floyd. Right now. So I'm not sure if you saw what happened in the Breonna Taylor case. Um, but you know, I don't think the police did anything wrong in that case. I think it was just a bad law with a no knock warrant. Well, then the Louisville police department comes out or the Louisville city council or whatever comes out and bans no knock warrants. Perfect. You banned exactly what led to this crime happening or what not right. what led to this crime, but what led to the death happening. I agree. No knock warrants. Well, I don't oftentimes like we see the narrative and replace the facts as justification for reforms, you know, and that's, and that's always a problem. Exactly. Um, 
one, I, I'm very upset that you're not a good shot. If you're ever down in Georgia, I'll have to take you out. We'll, we'll go shooting. You'll have, you'll be a great shot. You know what? So what is there? Is there any hope for places like New York City and LA? Do you see anything on the inside? Yeah, I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind. New York will recover from COVID, from the budget crisis. All that will happen. I mean, everything is cyclical. Everything you know works itself out and ebbs and flows. Uh, there's no doubt that this will happen. It's just for us, we're we're individuals. We're on this earth a short time. And the question is, you know, do I want to put my kids in New York City public schools? I mean, this is, for me, it's an immediate future. Like, do I want to spend the next 15 years here because of my kids in the schools? Do I want to spend the next 10, 15 years here because of the cost of living? You know, um, and and those are the calculations people have to make. Do I think New York will recover? 100%. There's no doubt in my mind uh, that this will happen. But you know, we, we compare the murder rates right now, and it's always a talk of, of, of a point of contention. Some people will say that, oh, you know, you're just being, uh, um, you know, over, over fearful that you're comparing the murders we're having this year with the 1970s and the 1980s. You're right. We're not, we're not at those levels yet. But if you look back in the 1960s, when the murder rate went from 300 to 400 to 500, like, we're at that point now. So I don't even think it's too late to, to make the turnaround. I just think that under the leadership of Bill de Blasio, and we didn't even talk about Governor Cuomo. You have to have me on another time to talk about Governor Cuomo. I could write a book about that guy. We can um, still bring under, him up. What? We can still talk about yeah, him. Yeah, I would need three hours to talk about uh, Governor Cuomo. It, it's amazing. But, um, Did you hear yeah, that, folks? This is a 17-part podcast. Yeah, exactly. Tune in next week. But it, it's just not going to happen. Um, the, the benefit, perhaps, of COVID – is that next year's mayoral election in the city was going to be just a progressive beauty contest. Whoever made the far left happy was going to win the Democratic uh, nomination and then probably win the mayoralty. Uh, now I think people are going to look for you know someone who's a bit more responsible and who's a bit more uh, you know pragmatic in their approach. I was not a Mike Bloomberg fan. Uh, I took a little pleasure in, in beating him up. Uh, I'm, I'm a state co-chairman in New York for, for Donald Trump, so I, I took a little pleasure in beating him up when he was going to run for president. But, I, I mean, I would have to admit that with Mayor Bloomberg, there was always a general competence there in being a mayor. Uh, there was always a desire to, to actually do the work of being a mayor. And, you know, it, it never seemed to me that Mayor Bloomberg was over his head. And yet all those things are, are what we could uh, see every day with uh, Bill de Blasio. Yeah, Bloomberg always, at least on the debate stage, he always seemed at least somewhat sensible uh, yeah. in terms of when it comes to people like Sanders, people like Warren. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure if you saw the news recently. Uh, Rudy Giuliani's son said he might run for mayor. So I know Andrew really well. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Andrew's a good friend of mine. He's a great staffer to the president. And, um, you know, he's, he's a, a wonderful guy. And his father's a great guy, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Staten Island is probably one of the few places in New York City where uh, Rudy Giuliani commands a crowd when he walks in and around arousing applause. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Andrew, but we'll have some candidates either way. For sure. Definitely. Maybe you'll be in the the mix. Maybe. So, yeah. uh, You know, thank you. uh, Thank you for coming on. Uh, Like I said, we'll have you again. We'll talk about Andrew Cuomo or yeah. Is it Andrew Cuomo? There's, I know I get a Chris Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, Tell the people where they can find you. Chris in fairness is the handsome one, you know? Okay. Fair. Chris is the handsome one. All right. Got it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Borelli, NYC, J-O-E-B-O-R-E-L-L-I-N-Y-C, or on Instagram, same thing, uh, or on Facebook. For those of you who have Facebook, it was like this old thing that some people don't use anymore. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. So there you just heard from somebody who's actually from one of these big cities. And as he said, it is completely crazy what's going on there. They want to defund the police. 
They want to turn America into something it's never been. They want to turn America from a place that believes that you and I are equal, no matter what, no matter if I'm a, no matter if I'm the president of the United States or somebody who lives in Podoc, Iowa. They they want to make it to where you and I aren't equal. They want to make it to where it everything is determined based on your race. And if you're a white male, I'm sorry. If you're a straight white male, I'm sorry, but you need to check your privilege. You need to apologize. Fact check. The most the 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 number one demographic of people on welfare are white people. White people are rich, white people are poor. African Americans are rich and poor. Everyone is rich and poor. Everyone. Every every class has somebody every race has somebody who's rich, every race has somebody who's poor. The difference the difference between a black male in America and a white male in America is nothing other than skin color. They have the same legal rights as everyone else. And if they didn't, if you could show me where blacks and whites aren't equal, I'll be right there fighting with you. I'll be right there to stand up with you and fight the injustice. Because that's what I believe in. If you're a liberal listening to this, let me tell you what conservatives believe in. Conservatives believe that all men and women are created equal. And that in the eyes of the government, we should be allowed to live our life without fear of government intrusion, government intervention. We should be able to to worship and to live with our families, make a good make a good decent living without having to send most of that living right back to the government. So they believe in. That's what they that's what we believe. It used to be the same on the left. The left used to used just used to differ with us. They used to be pro-choice and pro-higher taxes. Boy, do I wish that was the case now. Because now the left believes in identity politics. They believe in, in the oppression hierarchy. And they believe that if you are a straight white male in America, you're already the worst. You, you've already started out bad. And I know not everyone on the left does. I just had a good podcast that I did with somebody who's on the left. And he he's, he, he surprised me. He's, he's surprisingly pro-Second Amendment. He just, he's not a big fan of Trump and he, he's not a big fan of low taxes. And he's somebody that I had a good, a good discussion with. You should check it out. I'll link it down below, but that's all for this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the let free ring podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button because you don't want to miss out on our great episodes coming out every Monday. Thanks to your support. We are quickly becoming the fastest growing teenage conservative podcast in the nation. As always, if you have any questions or concerns, you can email me, noah at noahring.org. Again, that's noah at noahring.org. Thank you guys a ton. I'll see you guys next Monday. Y'all have a blessed week. Do you sometimes get the sense that debates about America's role in the world are predictable and often disconnected from reality? Our new podcast tries to change that. None of the Above offers new ideas to help confront America's global challenges. Subscribe to None of the Above today. You know the old saying, selling like hotcakes? What does that even mean? What is a hotcake anyway? They should change it to selling like Hondas, because right now Hondas are selling faster than ever. Probably because they're so rugged, long-lasting, and fuel-efficient. And if you want one, you should get to your local Honda dealer right away. Check out the 8-passenger pilot, or maybe the adventurous passport. But you gotta do it fast, because Hondas are selling like...
Well, Hondas. New models are arriving now. Don't wait. See your local Honda dealer today.